Welcome to the Goal In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes from Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Scott Welly from Outperform The Norm. As you'll hear, Scott knows exactly what it takes to be your best and to reach the absolute most that the human condition has to offer. In this wide-ranging interview, Scott shares his goal-in story and talks about what it takes to compete and to complete an ultra marathon. Now, in case you don't know what that is, it's 100 miles of running. That's a very long way. Talk about commitment, going all in and doing whatever it takes. This is an epic story. Scotty's a true leader when it comes to the subject of high performance, and he's an expert in helping others to get the most out of themselves. And to quote him, he says that outperformers play to win and the norm plays not to lose. Outperformers think differently. Well, if you're a first-time listener to the show, then you're in for a real treat today. And if you're back for more, well, welcome back. We love our repeat offenders here at the Go All In podcast. All righty, let's get into the show. Please help me in welcoming Scott Welly. Well, good day, Scott. Welcome to the Go All In podcast, mate. I'm really super excited to have an ultra athlete, ultra endurance athlete here. And I want to know all about that. Welcome to the show, mate. Ha, thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate it. All right, mate, before we uh, kick off and get into this goal in mindset stuff and your view of the world and your stories and that, I like to kick off all of these shows with a little get to know you quiz. It's in no particular order. It's pretty random. It's just the first thing that comes to mind when I ask the question. You ready, mate? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Is it a plant-based diet or is it a paleo style diet for you? Oh, paleo for sure. I am a meat eater and I will never go the other way. Trust me. <laughs> You know what? All jokes aside, I really like a plant-based vegetarian diet. I just don't have the discipline to cook like that constantly. It's just such a drag. Uh, yesterday, not to interrupt you, but I did a, a full-day seminar with a group of project managers, and we had lunch catered in. And of course, being the speaker, I let everybody else eat first. And I went over there, and all that were left were vegetarian wraps. And I literally <laughs> looked at it, and it was, uh, do I really have to eat this? I would almost yes. rather just eat nothing at all. So no, you're not going to see me go vegan or vegetarian anytime soon. <laughs> very good, very good. So you mentioned to me off air that you spend your time between which cities? Tell me which cities again. Minneapolis, Minnesota and Denver, Colorado. So can you ski? Uh, I can typically get down the runs uh, with both my ACLs intact, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be doing moguls and double black diamonds anytime soon. <laughs> can you surf? No, never surfed, always wanted to on the bucket list. Yeah, right, right. Well, we've got to get you to Australia, mate, because right out the front of my door here is uh, a really nice break, and uh, it's, it's nice and gentle for a learner too. Visiting Australia is also on my list, so trust me, I'm going to look you up, and we're going to do it. Nice, nice. On, on that travel note, what's, uh, tell me what's your favorite holiday location in the world? Favorite holiday location? Boy, that's a good question. I'm a huge fan of San Diego, California, so that would definitely be a big one. My brother lives over in Rome, Italy, so I've been there once, and I'm probably going to go back and, and see him there again. Uh, great place if you like wine, um, you know, and just obviously a lot of good history to see over there as well, but yeah. just somewhere where I can get out and about and do things outside, wherever that happens to be. I love going and just exploring new places. Nice. Do you feel the urge to have a holiday, or are you living your life so you don't really feel like you need a break from it? I never feel like I need a week or a two week long holiday to recharge. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I get to somewhat make my own schedule. And I have, I guess, semi frequent 
you know, three day holidays or whatnot, just different points where I can recharge my batteries. So I never feel like I get dragged down enough where it's like, Oh God, I need the week or two week vacation to, you know, be able to get back to operating at a hundred percent. Yeah. I think I'm a little bit spoiled like that as well, where I run my own routine, my own schedule and I live by the beach. It's kind of like, where would you go on a holiday? Like, I don't, here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why, go, why go anywhere? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and then, you know, uh, I give myself, if it all gets a bit too much, I give myself, a, like you, a couple of days off, you know, I, I'm not going to touch my computer. It's, it's work free for two days. And by the end of two days, I'm climbing up the walls, going on board. <laughs> yeah, I can totally relate. Yep. That's because I'm living my purpose and I'm doing what it is that I should be doing, you see. So it's, uh, it's interesting. It's really cool. All right, next one. Uh, you do a lot of keynote speaking and a lot of public speaking and stuff, but do you do some writing as well? Do you, do you like the solitude of typing on a keyboard and writing? I do, actually. Um, you give me any personality test, whether it's Myers-Briggs or anything else, I will almost always fall dead in the middle of introvert and extrovert. So there's a part of me that does truly enjoy being up in front of a live audience, whether it's 100 people or 1,000 people and that energy that you have in the room. But there is also a definite part of me that gets a lot of energy from, I don't know if you want to call it just being in solitude, but I'm okay being by myself and being by myself for extended periods of time, which is basically what you need to do if, you know, I've written eight different books. So if you're going to write that many books, you have to be okay being by yourself or it's <laughs> never going to get done. Do you ever feel like you're, you're, the way I describe it, shouting down an empty hallway and no one can hear you? Yes, I feel like it basically every day. <laughs> I, I think I think about it every time. Every time I do a bot podcast, every time I write a blog post, every time I send an email out to my list, it's uh, of course you can see how many downloads you're getting for the podcast, and typically you know you get different metrics on people reading blog posts and different things like that. But you do sometimes feel like when you put stuff out there, it's like is anybody even listening to me? Like it really is anyone out there listening or reading or watching? what it is that I have and you know that they are but sometimes you still feel like that I had a really kind of weird experience recently earlier in the year I was I'd been doing a whole lot of freelancing work with a another business and doing their podcast for them and we went to this trade show and all of these people would come over to me and go you're the podcaster you're the podcaster and when the first day we got there there was about 15 people that came over to me and they were typically um older sort of guys that were in their in their mid 50s early 60s that were listening to the podcast and I was kind of a little bit really is this the audience that I'm reaching and I'm really connecting with these where are all the younger 20 year old good looking women where are they not listening to that podcast let me tell you <laughs> it was fun so I was shouting down an empty hallway but there was people there listening <laughs> hey, we, we can't choose our listeners uh, all we can do is just put out the message it's interesting you think you have an avatar squared away and I know exactly who I'm targeting I know oh, actually it turns out I don't know anything uh-huh. I've been there myself <laughs> trust me Good one. all right mate tell me uh, what was your first car oh boy Plymouth Sundance and the bumper, the, the bumper fell off of it. So no joke. We couldn't fix it. We duct taped it like back on. There was duct tape all over the back right hand side. It was this ugly brown two door Plymouth Sundance with a duct tape bumper when I was in basically my first year of college. First car, drive it like you stole it. Thing falls apart, whatever. Give it away. Oh, it was just a horrible heap of metal and just, <laughs> I mean, but everybody or almost everybody has a story of just, you got to have one of those cars in your life 
and then it makes you appreciate when you actually get to a point and you have a nicer vehicle. Yeah, so. It's funny, isn't it? Like I ask that question to a lot of people from all around the world doing this podcast and everybody has, has got some sort of bomb story. If it wasn't their first car, it was their second or third car. But every now and then you, you, I, I get a woman on this show and she has like the most sensible car you've ever heard of. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's, that's kind of typical. Like, I, you know, I don't mean to generalize, but you know, that's what I expect. And all the blokes are kind of like these shitbox cars that are falling apart, bumpers falling off like you and that kind of funny, interesting. I, can you ride a motorbike? No. Ever been skydiving? Oh, I mean, I, I think I probably could. I've just never tried. Uh, I'm 39 years old right now, and there was a long point in my 20s and probably into my early 30s where I thought I was going to get a motorcycle, and that was going to be my thing, and I just never pulled the trigger on it. And now I'm kind of looking at it, and you know, as we get a little bit older, hopefully we get wiser and a little bit more mature, and it's a, it's a pretty big risk-reward. It's kind of like skiing a little bit. It's like, mm. well, I know I could do this a lot more, but I like my ACLs attached, and I would love to get out there on a motorbike and be cruising around all the time on a beautiful night like it is right now in Minnesota, but I don't know. Um, maybe I'm getting a little bit more gun-shy in my age. Who knows? <laughs> I think motorcycles are one of those things that you – I rode bikes for years. That's why I kind of asked that question. And the, when you don't have a bike, you really, really long for a bike. But when you've got a bike, you're kind of like, eh. You know, it's like one of those, yeah, it's all right. It's kind of cool. And if you're using it for a commute, it's a pain in the ass. But if you're using it for fun, well, then it's kind of a little bit different. So, yeah, I've been threatening to get one for a little while as well, but I just haven't quite got back there for all the reasons that you just said. It's like, eh, eh, eh. maybe I need to dial it back and get something that's a bit more of a cruiser than a sports bike. And I'll, I'll... Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, we're nearly there with the, with the quiz. Have you ever been skydiving, mate? Yeah, three or four times. Very nice. Good fun. You like it? Loved it. I mean, it is uh, it's pure adrenaline without the needle, literally. <laughs> like, I mean, getting up there, it, it is very interesting because I don't care how much of a badass you think you are and like how, how good of an idea it seemed like when you were on the ground. When you get up in that plane and they open up the door that you're going to jump out of, it is just so interesting. I, I went with my brother a couple of times and went a couple of other times when I was in college. And every single person that when you're up there with them and they open up that door and you look at their face, they instantly go white as a ghost. And it, it does not seem like nearly as good an idea of when you were 14,000 feet below and uh, you were thinking about doing it. So the ultimate leveler that levels, oh, everybody makes everybody oh, the same. Mm. Oh, absolutely. It really does. There's yeah. You're not that tough when you're up there. Trust me. <laughs> you're, you're humbled rather quickly and assuming you have the courage to go through with it. You feel really great when you get on the ground, but there's that period where you say, what in the hell did I get myself into by doing this? <laughs> I think I, I say that to myself a couple of times a week, not skydiving. <laughs> I've got to yeah, organize you, my life, so I'm not saying that. <laughs> yeah, you and me both, seriously. <laughs> All right, last serious podcasting question for the little get to know you quiz. Scott, what's the, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Boy, the best piece of business advice. That is a really good question. I think that the amount of income you make is nothing more than a reflection of the number of people you're serving or you're helping at any point in time. What was it, Zig Ziglar, that said, you want to get what you want, help other people get what they want? Mm -hmm. And 
I think the more that as my business evolves and the more that I look at it, I really try to come back to that. And instead of stressing out about, well, I want to hit these financial goals or targets and make this amount of money, just focus on how can I serve and how can I help more people? And if you come at it with that mindset, you don't feel the same sort of pressure and stress as I think you normally would in just kind of a day-to-day business. Yeah. Beautifully said. I would, I would echo that loud and clear as well. I, changed my definition of success from a financial goal because inevitably you hit a financial goal and then you set another one, which is always bigger and you set another one. And if you're only ever chasing dollars like that, it's a very unfulfilling thing to do. And I set my, my level of success is determined by how many people I affect. So the more people I affect, the more successful I'll feel. And really at the end of the day, that's what you're chasing is the feeling that you get from either winning that deal, getting that money or helping as many people as you can and nothing more fulfilling than reaching more people and helping more people. And that usually comes back then and translates to the financial goals that you had to begin with. So, uh, I mean, it sounds like we are speaking exactly the same language on that. Yeah, it's interesting. Like your your thought process is, is exactly aligned to mine, but the way you articulate it with words is slightly different. But it's really the same thing. And it's really interesting to, to see that as well. It's good. All right, Scott. Well, thank you for having a little bit of fun with me there on the, on the front end and us answering some random questions. People come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, Scott, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you learned from your commitment to success? Well, I have a few different ones that I could probably share. But I think the one that I would go back to is we just eclipsed the four-year anniversary of me running 100 miles. And I know you led off with, hey, we've got an ultra marathoner here. And that is only the second ultra marathon I've done and the only 100-mile run I have ever done. And it probably will be the only one that I ever do. (laughs) But going into that race, I, I felt completely like a fish out of water. And, you know, it's very interesting Because we hear this in a lot of different areas, whether we're talking about business or athletics or anything else. It's sort of like, well, you have to do these things if you're going to have a successful business. Like you have to, there are some people that say you need a 20 page business plan. There are other people that will say you don't need any business plan at all. Like just get started. Mm. And in like the 100 mile ultra marathon world, you will have people that will say, well, you better have finished multiple 50 milers or, or 100K where you're doing 62 miles. I had never run more than 30 miles at any point when I signed up for the, the 100 mile. And I've always been okay with setting big goals, big targets out there. And you know, what's the worst that can happen. And I think the hardest part is just being willing to put that out there and demand that of yourself and just saying, I am in this and I'm going to figure out how to do it and to not worry about all these other things that, well, maybe I'm not ready. Maybe this won't work out kind of thinking about the negatives that could come from it rather than just going all in and deciding that you're going to do it. So um, thankfully I did it and, you know, God was good to me on that day. Uh, Got through it in 21 hours and six minutes and and took 14th place and was very happy with the way that it all worked out. It's It's a really interesting go all in story. Normally we hear stories about transition, you know, from a job to a business or a business back to a job or a relationship or some sort of health issue but making a decision and committing to a decision to run a hundred miles is it's all up to you. Nobody else is going to do that for you. They're, those legs are attached to your body, which is attached to your mind that has to go and do that task. What was it that triggered in your brain that said, I'm actually going to have a go at that. I'm going to have a crack at that. 
I, I have people ask me that all the time. They say, where does your motivation for some of these things come from, whether it's, it's speaking or writing books or doing 100 miles or whatever it might be. And I, I will usually say that so much of my motivation, I feel like, comes from just a, an anti-regret, where if I actually <laughs> ask myself, I, I'm not naive enough to think that I'm going to be running or speaking or maybe writing books for the rest of my life. I certainly probably won't be running 100 miles when I'm 80, 90 years old. And I think about and I fast forward to a later stage in my life and I say someday when I'm old and gray and I'm not doing these things, am I going to look back at it and am I going to say to myself, I wish I would have done that. Like I wish I would have put myself out there and I wish I would have at least taken a shot at it. And if the answer is yes, I'm going to regret it if I don't do this, then you got to put it out there because I don't want to be playing that game of the woulda, shoulda, coulda. I wish I would have just taken my shot. You know, I don't think we're ever promised anything in life. So it was really just looking at that and saying, if not now, when? Like, yeah. I mean, there's not going to be a, a better time. So I may as well just put it out there. Life doesn't perfectly package things for us and then put it in front and say, okay, now, you know, you get the ringing voice from God, like now is the right time for you to start your own business or to run 100 miles or to write a book. It doesn't work like that. It starts with you just being willing to put it out there and actually do it. What did you learn about yourself at 50 miles? There must be so many battles going on with your body and your mind and your hunger and your energy systems and the physiology that goes on there human beings are incredible machines and you've never really been tested. I think I've been tested a few times in the military, but really in the scheme of things, you kind of tested in your mind a little bit more physically. I've never experienced a physical test like you put yourself under there. And I'm, I'm interested to know what happened at the halfway mark there. Yeah. I mean, anybody that has, has done any kind of ultra marathon knows, and it, I, it doesn't even have to be an ultra marathon. Anybody that's run 10 miles or mm. run 100 miles, you know that it is as much mental as it is physical. And the, and the longer the race is, the more mental, mentally demanding it becomes. Like assuming that your nutrition, hydration are okay, and you're not pacing yourself like an absolute moron, really all it comes back to is it comes back to the mental game. And what are you going to say to yourself that's going to keep you moving forward? What are you going to say to yourself to keep you in the race when more than half the people that actually start are probably going to drop out? That's just the way that it goes. So interestingly enough, if you um, ask me what I was thinking of 50 miles, you know, running 100 miles is just like life. It's a roller coaster. It's not a train ride. <laughs> and I was going through my worst miles were miles 40 to 60, where I really thought I was going to drop out because I just hit a serious low point. Like every single person that has ever done an ultra <laughs> says, you're going to go through periods where it feels really dark and you never feel like you're going to get to the finish line. And I ended up getting to, it was the 100K point where you're kind of right back actually where you started because you run 31 and a half miles out, turn around, or run 31 and a half miles back. And it was at that point when I was at mile 62, 63 that I had a couple of friends there that were helping me out. And I was really thinking about quitting at that time. And they forced me to get back out there and to go back out to finish the last 38, 39 miles. And thank God they did because I actually had some of my best miles from probably 62 to <laughs> 85, I would say. Was it euphoric? It was never euphoric. It was just, <laughs> it was, it was just manageable, literally. Like it, it was manageable. But at mile 50, man, it was hard. I never, never saw the light at the end of the tunnel, had no idea how 
I was going to get to that finish line. It was just, and that's really why I signed up for the 100 mile to begin with. I wanted to know mentally if I could do it. I wasn't, it sounds really strange, but everybody thinks it's a physical endeavor. And I never worried about the physical part of it. I knew my body would hold up. I knew, you know, I've got a good stomach, so I knew I'd be able to keep nutrition, hydration coming in. I just wanted to know if I had the mental toughness and guts to be able to persevere and to actually be able to do this thing. Mm. You, you said to me, you said to me at the start that nothing was was off limits. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. And yeah. you know, it, in the army, when I was in the army, you you hump along with a heavy backpack that's 50 or 60 kilos. Sometimes, you know, I can remember having five, six days of rations, 12 liters of water, double frontline ammunition, body armor, and all of my kit, and getting out of a helicopter and like standing there thinking holy crap, how do I, and, and not be able to breathe because my body armor was too tight and like <gasps> hyperventilating and then kind of adjusting my body armor and then walking like 50 meters and nearly having a heart attack because the pack is so heavy and all the ammunition and, and you're in, in the badlands, there's bad guys and there's all the carry on of it as well. And then some idiots at the back telling you to hurry up and get going. And I, I think I've experienced like, but it's not the, it's not the physical thing that kind of, I could handle it physically, but you know, you get a little blister rubbing on your foot or your pants are chafing you a little bit on the inside of your thigh or underneath your arm. Did, yeah. did your clothes rub on you like that for an extended period of time and cause chafing? I mean, because that, that is a battle in itself. So suddenly running and the distance of it doesn't seem to be such an issue. I'm fighting with the chafing of my, of my clothes. And, and I've experienced that like really badly in the tropics in, in a war zone where you've got no choice but to keep going. And the hum- you haven't had a shower for like three weeks. The humidity, the chafing, you're dirty, you're filthy. You're about as angry as you've ever been, <laughs> been in your life. And then you've got to go on a patrol and there's some idiot shooting at you. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as far as the chafing goes, and that's an interesting thing too, where I kind of knew that my body would hold up. Uh, I've had plenty of little nicky knack injuries and different things that have gone on. But one thing that God has blessed me with is great feet. Like for Mm. whatever reason, I just don't get blisters Mm. like on my feet. And that is the one thing that ultra marathoners will say is they, they say, if you get a blister early, I mean, I don't care how tough you are. Like that's, that's the race for most people. Like you're just, you're done. You're not going to continue to run say another 50 miles through that. If you have a blister at mile 50, but I just, I, for whatever reason, I just don't get blisters. So I knew I was fine there. And then as far as like chafing on the legs and the armpits and stuff, um, I had a little bit in the legs, but honestly I was, I was liberally applying um, Aquaphor and Vaseline, let's say the entire time to (laughs) dry it as much as possible and get ahead of that before it could ever occur. So I was well aware that that could potentially happen and it never really did. So I, I, they're funny experiences that you remember of, of things like you just did. I, I can remember feeling a little bit like, what's that on my leg? Like, and my legs bit a bit, and then just cursing the Australian government. Why can't they give us proper clothes? Why can't they give us, why is there nylon in these uniforms? Why don't they give us cotton clothes that don't chafe us like that as well? It's, it's, a, it's a funny experience, like, cause you're in a, in a bit of pain and you can feel the rage rising inside of you about something that you just cannot control no matter what and and it's actually a pretty good metaphor for life don't let yourself get angry about things that you can't control just kind of suck it up swallow it and and move on right that's that's what you got to do 
control the controllables is always what I say. <laughs> all we can do in this life in any area is just control the controllables. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful story that you shared with us and I really appreciate you taking us on that, on that journey with you. What, what I would ask about that is if somebody's thinking about doing an event like that, you know, it does, as you say, it doesn't need to be an ultra marathon. It could be their first 10 kilometer race or their first half marathon or a marathon itself. If they're teetering on the edges of wanting to do that, what, what would you say to that? What would be the top two or three things you'd say to have a go and, and commit to it and go all into it? What would you say about it? Well, I think the first thing is just, it's what I call playing to win instead of playing not to lose. And I mean, let's just, let's backtrack. This was uh, probably a dozen years ago when I signed up for my first Ironman triathlon, which if you don't know what Ironman is, it's the 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, 26.2 mile run. And I remember I was fresh out of grad school and I'd only done a couple of marathons, but I was, I'd never done a triathlon before. Mm. And I was thinking about signing up for this Ironman. And then, of course, I, I'm like, I, I literally, I was doing some personal training at the time. And I remember sitting down at the computer in the personal trainer's office. And I was scrolling through, it was for Ironman Wisconsin. You're scrolling through the long waiver, you know, basically signing your life away if you're going to register for this thing. And I'm scrolling through and I get to the bottom and there's this big submit button. And... I remember getting to that thing and literally I was sitting there just shaking. Like, am I actually going to sign up? Am I actually going to put myself out there and try to do this? And right at that moment, which we all get to the precipice of doing something. <laughs> and then we start talking ourselves out of it because what was going through my head was, well, you're fresh out of graduate school. Like, you know, you just got started personal training. You don't have a lot of money. You don't have a lot of free time. I was held back in swimming lessons growing up. I didn't own a bike. I only typically ran early on if someone was chasing me. Like I had, you start feeding yourself all of these reasons on why you should not do something rather than look at it and say, what if I just put it out there? And what if this is absolutely one of the best experiences of my life? And looking at it through that lens and the playing to win and looking at the positive outcome you're striving for instead of fearing that negative result. I, I think that's, we all need to do that in whatever it is, whether it's a 10K race or a 100 mile or a starting business, writing a book, whatever it happens to be, but don't talk yourself out of it because you're fearing some type of negative outcome that could potentially happen. Like it sounds really simple, but just strive for that positive result and think about all the good that could potentially come from it. So I really think that that, that has to be the first thing that you do. And then, I mean, I guess above and beyond that, just why the heck not? Like what is real, what is really truly the worst thing that can happen with whatever you're looking at? And the worst possible outcome is, I don't know, maybe if we're talking about doing a race, what you sign up for the race and you don't finish it. Okay. Well, I always say there is no failure. There's only feedback. So if you put something out there and you don't finish a race, well, big deal. You get some feedback. Mm. And then you decide whether you're going to use that feedback and maybe try it again the next time or whether it just wasn't your thing and then you move on. But the way that successful people will look at mistakes or negative things that happen to them is it's just simply when they get that feedback, it's just leading them one step closer to success. Rather than like, oh, God, I failed at this or, you know, like I'm just a horrible, no good loser. Like it's, it's just it's a lens that they look at and they say, OK, well, this thing might not have worked out and it's not so bad after all, really. And I learned this from it and I'm going to use it to help me move forward in whatever area. I think it's a, it's a natural thing to 
to feel like a bit of an imposter when you're doing something for the first time. Uh, it's like I've, I remember when I first started my podcast way back when, it's kind of like, felt like I had no business doing this and who would listen anyway. But I made the show not about me. It was always about my guest and people are not listening in because of me. Absolutely not. They're listening because I've got a great guest on and I give that guest the ability to tell their story and, and to share that as well. And, and I, I would add to your one there by saying that when you do finally have a go and you know what's the worst that can happen and you go along with that mindset, I would go in and say that you build momentum in your life when you start to take that approach because if you're less worried about the consequences of it and you're going to give it a go and it's, I'll give a go. In, in order for me to score a goal, I need to be on the field playing the game and I need to play the game to score the goal. And when you start playing the game, you get a bit of momentum and you have a positive feel that keeps rolling and it goes again and oh, I actually did that and goes again, I'll do it again. And go, and it translates into so many aspects of your life. Yeah, and well said. I mean, it's, I sometimes say you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. And I, I always want to be transparent with the audience that I, I felt what you describe as far as imposter syndrome, I have felt that in almost every single thing that I've done in my life. I felt that when I was doing Iron Man. I felt that when I was writing my first book. It's like, who the heck is going to want to read my book? <laughs> like, I'm not Stephen King or I'm not, you know, Tony Robbins or whoever you want to say. Like, I'm not that person. And I thought about it at the beginning of the 100 miler. And, you know, when I was studying sports psychology, I remember learning about, we called it vicarious experiences. And vicarious mm -hmm. experiences are basically, you look at ways that we actually gain confidence from what we do. And vicarious experiences is just looking out and just simply saying, if someone else can do something, I can do it too. And it sounds like a really simple thing, but the fact of the matter is whatever you are looking to do, if we really truly look at it, chances are someone else has done exactly what it is that you want to do that is no fitter, is no faster, is no smarter, is no more experienced, is no more talented, better educated, whatever you want to say than you are. And if they can do it, you can do it too. And when you say that, you're not putting other people down, you're pulling yourself up and you should. And if you continually say that to yourself, you're not going to feel like an imposter when you're doing things. And you're just going to have more confidence to put whatever lofty challenges you have out there um, in any area of your life. Mm. Well, well said, well said. And, and one, one, I would add to the the imposter syndrome, because like you, like everybody, I felt that a lot as well. One of the little techniques that I use for myself to overcome those challenges and those feelings that I've had, because those feelings are so strong that they kind of make you want to chuck in the towel almost sometimes. It just, it just feels like, ugh, I just shouldn't, I don't know, I just shouldn't do it. It's a kind of a, a bit of a grubby like ugh, feeling. But one of the things that I learned to do was to celebrate the little wins and yeah, just get myself like two or three days into whatever task it is that I'm doing that I'm feeling about that and, and then stop and look at where I am in relation to where I'm going. But then also look over my shoulder really quickly and say, hey, you started there with nothing, the standing start of nothing and you've achieved this. And then just chip away at it, just chip away, just chip away. But it's really important to kind of stop and take stock and consolidate. Just even if you consolidate for five or 10 minutes on a daily basis and look at where you are in relation to where you were and how, how much closer you are towards that destination, whatever that might be is. I felt like that kind of dulled the feeling of being an imposter and okay, I'm, I'm starting to get some momentum. 
Yeah, and, and I think that's such a key thing, celebrating the small wins. I know that's, that's a thing here in the States. We do a horrible job of that. We focus mm. so much on the gap or how far we still have to go or how far we're falling short of something rather than really looking at how far have, have, have we come. I mean, and what progress have we made and what have we already achieved or accomplished up to this point? And I think taking it and, you know, you don't have to sit there and just rest on your laurels, you know, just and become complacent with what you've done, but to actually look at it and to give yourself a little bit of a pat on the back and say, hey, I've come a long ways already. And to let that actually feed your confidence that if I just continue to do what I've been doing to get up to this point and continue on with it, I will get to whatever finish line and whatever that happens to be, you know, instead of just focusing on the gap and how much farther you have to go. Momentum is everything in business and it's everything in life and personal development as well. And well, well said, well said. If I, serious uh, podcasting question coming up, get ready. I'd like to give my guests a bit of warning. It's a very, it's a very deep a podcasting question. <laughs> serious podcasting question. It's like you're trying to scare me or something. So, well, sometimes <laughs> I listen to these other shows and these hosts are like so unbelievably articulate and they've got all of this education behind them and stuff. And I feel like I'm just a dude on the end of a microphone having a combo with another mate. <laughs> I think maybe that's why what I do works is because it's just kind of relaxed. But I, 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 do, I do like this question. And I've, I've heard it a couple of times and it's, this is the, the Scotty that I, I met today right now. Where were you 12 months ago? Like what, what's happened in the last 12 months to get you here? Have you, have you taken leaps and bounds in the last year to get where you are today? Or has it just been kind of a, a regular incremental process for you? No, I, I mean, I, well, interestingly enough, you go back 12 months. I know that I shared this with you off air, but uh, unfortunately I've had some, some loss and some tragedy in my life where both of my parents have passed away and it's just a little over the last two years. And if we were to go 12 months back, that would have been more or less a month, month and a half after my father passed away. And I was really close to my dad. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, again, to just be completely transparent with the audience, because I think sometimes we can look at however your audience looks at me, successful, high achieving, driven, whatever, um, to be able to share our struggles as much as our successes and to be transparent as far as what we've gone through, I think is an important thing. So I was just really close with my dad. And, and prior to losing my parents, I hadn't experienced a lot of loss in my life. So and with my brother living in Rome, Italy, and both of my parents living in Minnesota, I was kind of saddled with a lot of the, the tasks and the things that go with cleaning up affairs after they pass. And it was just a really difficult time for me in a lot of different ways where I'm sure you're like this. A lot of the people that you have on the podcast, we are driven, ultra productive, normally motivated people that love putting ourselves out there and love helping people. And I'm used to being that way too. But there was a period of time where some days I just wouldn't even feel like getting out of bed. And, and it, it was hard, you know, and you talk about feeling like an imposter on days that I would feel like that. And I would have to go and I would have to be a motivational speaker for a group or for an audience. It, it was very challenging, but to come back and to think about things like gratitude and, and to really reflect on the good times that you had and to think about, I think, the legacy that you want to leave moving forward. It was just a little bit of a struggle moving past that. So I guess I only say that insofar as it's not like I've had a sweeping upward trajectory in the last 12 months. Hmm. There were kind of some ups and downs after, after that happened. And 
things have been going really, really well in the last few months where I've been getting back to the old me. But if we were to actually go back 12 months ago, it's just not a great time in my life. Losing losing a parent is a very hard thing. I lost my dad only a, a couple of years ago as well. And it's and the grieving process is uh, it's very raw at the beginning, of course. And like you, I hadn't I hadn't experienced much tragedy in, in my life. I live in a bubble, the way I describe it. I love the bubble that I live in. I, I I've made this life and created this life for myself. It's wonderful. And and like you, I had a had a wonderful relationship with my dad and it was, a, it was really nice. And I, and I got to know the guy as an adult as well. And he even worked with me for many years, which was really fun as well. So I got to know him on a different level. And, you know, I saw him mellow right out as he got older and with my children and things like that. So that was lovely. And I think I'm, you know, you never really get over something like that because as a parent, they're with you all the time, right? And you think about them. And, and as, as a parent now, it's sort of, I have an impact on my children's lives. And my son is now 18. He's kind of grown up. He's at university. And I'm getting to know him as, a, as an adult as well. And my other son is 17 as well. And he's almost a, a man as well. I'm getting to know him like that, which is really nice. And I'm, I'm reminded as well of my mortality. And I think maybe a little bit different for me than, than most, because when you experience a loss in your life, you're reminded of your mortality, but there's nothing quite like writing your will when you're 19 years old about to go into combat. That's something as a young person and signing that document and, you know, yeah, whatever, man, you know, I'm not going to die here. It's just like ridiculous. What are you talking about? But that's a, that's certainly an experience that not every person gets to do. And, you know, being confronted with your mortality and thinking like you're going to get blown up or shot up or something's going to happen to you as a young person, it's not really something, you know, I'm going to live forever. What are you talking about? You know, I'm, I am bulletproof. These, those 762 rounds are just going to bounce off me. Yeah, I'm hard as steel. Yeah, but sadly they go straight through you. They don't bounce off you at all. So even though I was like reminded of my mortality and confronted with that as a young man, when my father passed, same thing. My view of the world changed radically. It changed radically, and it took me about twelve months to kind of work through that and discover a new part of myself. And it's a journey of self-discovery as well as it is grief and and reflection and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know I sometimes just say you're, you're trying to find a new normal. You know, mm. I've had some people say that to me because life is never going to be the same as, as it was when you yeah. have that kind of loss in your life. And, and we all do live in our own bubbles. You know, we create whatever our bubble looks like. We have our bubbles and that becomes our normal. And then when something happens, some type of loss or some type of sweeping change like that, you do have to find what the new bubble is going to look like. <laughs> and that, and that, I'm sorry, that doesn't happen overnight. And when you're going through the grieving process, so it's just, it's been a very interesting transition for me. Learned some different things about myself and yeah, it's just been interesting. Are you, are you kinder than you thought you were? I, I am much kinder now and much more empathetic. That's what happened to me too. Mm. Yeah, I, I sometimes, I, you know, you can probably relate to this, and especially because we're talking on the Go All In podcast, and <laughs> what I've talked about a lot of times here in studying sports psychology, we talk about mental toughness, you know, and I just, the earlier version of Scott would have always just been, whatever you're going through, I've just told you to suck it up and deal with it. Mm. Like, plow through it, you know, put up your dukes and just move past it. And that was really how I thought about what I should do and how I perceived other people where if you were struggling with something, I would just either say, you know, I mean, to be point blank with it, I wouldn't say it to anybody's face, but I would think, wow, that person's just mentally weak or that person's soft. Like they, they need to just get tougher and they need to move past it. And 
you know, lots of people are fighting struggles that we know nothing about. And it's not our place to really judge how they're handling it and what they should think and do at any point in time. It's completely up to them. We're all just trying to do the best we can. So I am a much, much kinder and much, much more empathetic person than I was a couple of years ago. Now, I, I wish it didn't take my old man passing away to become, to find that kindness within myself. And because I, I know it feels better to be like that in the world. One of the things that I, I realized that I did a lot after he passed, you know, because it's a time of reflection. It's a time of remembering and, and the process that you go through. And, you know, it's, if you've never experienced it, well, it's kind of, there's a lot of discovery. One of the things I discovered about myself is, God, I complain a lot. And as an infantry guy, I complain a lot as it is. No matter what happens, I'll be complaining. That's just kind of just how you, that's the defaulted position. But I, I found myself complaining a lot less after that because there's nothing to complain about in this world that we live in. With, with the greatest respect, we live in the best country in the world right here. And the bubble that I live in here is incredible. And I, and I invite you guys to come on over and, and experience it because it really is a wonderful, wonderful place. And there's nothing to complain about here. Let me tell you, you know, I've got a pocket full of money. I've got a wonderful family, incredible friends, and an incredibly fulfilled professional life as well. It's like, dude, if another complaint comes out of your mouth, you've got to slap yourself. And that, that's the one really big thing that I learned. Yeah, and I think other than being maybe kinder and more empathetic, I do mm. think I appreciate things so much more. And, and I mean, it does suck to that you have to lose people, and, and in my case, losing both parents to kind of learn it. But, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, like the little shit and the little things, they just don't bother you as much anymore. Doesn't like, matter. you just kind of realize that it really doesn't matter. Like, those little things that used to drive you nuts that you used to bitch and complain about, mm. you just don't do it anymore. You know, because it doesn't really matter that much at the end of the day. Mm. So I, I listened yeah. to a really great audio book for the, for the folks listening and, and you might like it as well by a, a guy named Chris Hatfield. So he's a Canadian astronaut and, and his book is called an astronaut's guide to life on earth. And it tells you the story of how, you know, he was in the Canadian air force. He was an F-18 pilot. He became a test pilot, went to NASA, became the first Canadian astronaut, got into the program, went into space, blah, blah. And anyway, as the, the end of the book is really touching and it's really beautiful what he describes towards the end of the book, how he looks at planet Earth from the space station as you don't see the lines on a map. You just see that's, that's all of us. It's not Pakistan and India. It's us. That's humanity that's there. And really kind of touching end to the story where he's, he's at home and there's rubbish on the side of the street and he picks the rubbish up and puts the rubbish in the bin. We've got to care for this place. We've got to look after it a little bit more and all about perspective. And I, and I love the perspective that he has from space as the astronaut and, and a career in aviation and a career in, uh, as an astronaut. It's really incredible perspective that he, he shines on it. So, you know, in, in the interest of this deep conversation, if you want to go a little bit deep there, I encourage you to get Chris Hatfield's book. And I'll put a link to that book in the show notes as well so you can check that out. You won't have to dig for it. So just peek at your phone if you're listening to this podcast and you'll see the link to Chris's book there as well. All right, just shifting gears now and I talked about what happened in the last 12 months. Tell us a little bit about your business and what's happening for you in the next 12 months. What's happening in moving forward? Is there exciting times ahead? Is there new things on the horizon or is it situation no change, more of the same? Oh, well, no. I mean, things are always changing. And I mean, the largest component of my business is, for lack of a better term, motivational speaking, whether that's to like all companies or, or 
organizations or leadership teams, sales teams, whatever it might be. So the speaking area of my business is really taking off. I absolutely, again, I said it before, I love the feeling of standing up there in front of a live audience, big or small, mm-hmm. and putting out the energy and the message and having that energy and that good feeling come back to you. There's absolutely nothing that replaces that. Um, I'm also fortunate to have a good number of individual coaching clients, most of them on the business side of things, a few athletes, but most of them business, just working on different areas of peak performance. And then I will certainly put out, if we're talking about the next 12 months, a minimum of two more books that will be in the Outperform the Norm series. I know the next one is going to be on leadership. And then the next one after that, stay tuned. I don't want to uh, (laughs) reveal anything else other than that right now. But yeah, it's going to be exciting times. Are you daunted by the task of writing some more books? Are you encouraged and excited by it? Can I say both? Because it, 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 I mean, I know that's a, that sounds like a politician answer or something, but I mean, it is interesting. The same, I I have realized that the same skill that allows me to start at the beginning of a 100 mile race and get to the finish line is a skill that I've really used to be able to write books too. And in a lot of ways I get in there, you can write books. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. You can write books a couple of different ways. Some people will say, and, and a lot of prolific writers will just say something to the effect of, well, I just write two pages a day, you know, or I just write for like an hour a day, whatever it happens to be. And they do it every single day. And kind of that's their thing. My personality doesn't work like that. I have to actually roll up my sleeves, clear my schedule a little bit, decide I'm at the start line, and then just absolutely plow through and kind of do a boot camp on book writing. And it works really, really well for me where I just have that singular focus. But it is draining. And I mean, it's, it's mentally draining because you are thinking about grammar and sentence structure and stories and putting things together. It's, it's like mentally challenging on a whole different level than speaking or running a race or anything else. And when I get done with it, I feel like I've run 100 miles. So I kind of say both because the thought of actually getting back into that arena and that race and doing it is a little bit daunting, but yet it's exciting to know that you come out with a good finished product at the end of it. Yeah, the feeling that you get on the other side of it is is pretty rewarding. I think it's a, it's a really inept analogy actually is that if I was going to undertake a marathon, it would be the same mental game as it would be to sit down and write that book and get it on paper. It takes just as much effort at it dedication and commitment to actually going to do that it really you really have to be all in when you're going to do that right sorry to pull it out but it's there's a chance to kind of slot it in there so i'll slot it in i know you absolutely do that's for sure (laughs) awesome mate tell us a little bit about your podcast Outperform podcast. Um, I don't know if we even really talked about my company, but it's called Outperform the Norm. So it's just basically how do you outperform either whatever societal norm is out there or really the part that I'm most passionate about. How do you outperform your norm and strive to really reach? I I think all all of us are only ever going to scrape whatever our potential happens to be. But how do you outperform the norm that you're kind of at right now? So the Outperform podcast is just geared around bringing guests on sort of like you do. Um, I typically segment it out into either health, happiness, or high performance as far as the guests that I have on. So can they teach you something about health and wellness and the body and nutrition? Can they teach you something about, um, I had somebody that talked about the science of forgiveness or fulfillment and gratitude and being happier, or can it be an expert on 
you know, the business side of things where they're teaching you about some aspect of being a higher performer in your personal or professional life. Um, so again, I, I don't think I'm as far along in, in my podcasting journey as you are, but I've absolutely loved the aspect of getting to interview people and I hate the term picking their brain, but getting a, being able to gather insights from people on different things has just been so rewarding for me and not something that I ever did before because I was normally the one talking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just been a ton of fun learning from other people and learning how they became successful and healthy, happy, or high performing. Beautifully said. And, and if you're, again, if you're listening to this podcast on your phone, just peek at your phone in the show notes and the link to Scott's podcast will be right there. So you don't have to dig for it, outperform the norm. The link to it is right there. Whether you're on an Android phone or an iOS device, doesn't matter. You will find it right there for you. So make sure you check that out, download that and have a listen to Scott's show. I, I think that podcasting in some ways is the elixir of life. I think that's a big statement, right? It's like, what keeps you young? Podcasting. You're an idiot. Yes, I'm an idiot. You don't have a podcast. You don't know. Shut up. (laughs) It's my show. I can say whatever I want. (laughs) But it is the truth. I mean, it's sort of like running a race, writing a book or, you know, being in the military, whatever it happens to be. You don't actually know what it's like until you do it or until you've been there. And I never thought I would enjoy podcasting as much as I really have. And just meeting some seriously awesome people and, you know, getting to, to know them on the podcast and off the podcast is, is just been so much fun. So the, I've never actually heard it called the elixir of life, but, but I do kind of like that term. I, I like it because I've thought about it a lot because I've thought about, I've done so many different things in my life, like everybody, you know, you've had, you've tried multiple different jobs, you've tried different roles, you, you've worn different masks, you've done all sorts of things, especially as a guy in, in the world, you know, you're supposed to live up to a certain expectation of masculinity and whatever. And podcasting, when I discovered it, it felt like the elixir of life for me. And it felt like I was really, really excited about what I was doing again for the first time in a long time. And what is it that makes you feel like that? When you think about sport or, or running or training or whatever you do, you kind of know what that is because it's endorphins in your brain. It feels good to do that. You get a little bit addicted to that. It's kind of a physiological thing. But podcasting, I'm, I'm sitting on my butt, sedentary, talking into a microphone, chatting with a person that I don't really know trying to craft a conversation that sounds entertaining. But when you finish it, why is it so good? And I can define it by saying that in our modern world, we're so distracted by these things. And for the people listening, you're listening to that on a mobile phone. And I think there's just so many, so much distraction in the modern world that when you get to sit down for an hour and you're completely present with somebody that you've just met, it is a really empowering thing. And it's the thing that I feel like it's the thing in the modern world that's bringing human beings back together because social media is so prevalent and social media connects you to so much of the world, but so many people feel so damn isolated because they're not connected to people. And the reason podcasting is so popular and it's so great when you get to do it as a host and as a guest is because you get that human connection. And that human connection has been something that's sort of in the last 15 years when all of this technology, the advent of this technology has happened, it's kind of gone away, the human connection, but it's coming sort of back. And we recognize how damaging for your health social media can be, how damaging for your health too much screen time can be for your kids and for you as an individual as well. 
And, you know, there's, I think I scroll through my Facebook feed and, and once a day there's a, there's a picture of a chalkboard at a cafe that says, there's no Wi-Fi, get off your phone and talk to people like it's 1993. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're kind of right. And the human, human connection that's in there. Tell me, Scott, have you got some, have you got some guests that you want to talk to on your podcast? Is there, is there some big giant guest that you want to have on your show that you haven't been able to land just yet? Boy, must be some uh, athletes or something like that. That would be, yeah, yeah. I guess I haven't really thought about it honestly because I just started up probably what was it maybe two three months ago something like that with my podcast. I really I almost felt like I mean I'm approaching podcasting and the the aspect of interviewing and I mean you're doing a phenomenal job, <laughs> but. I've approached interviewing people and podcasting as a skill the exact same way that I looked at writing books and speaking. So I almost felt like I need to polish this skill a little bit before I really start to go out there and, and contact maybe the heavy hitters or, um, you know, somebody that would be completely on my, on my bucket list to have on the podcast. So quite honestly, I don't have a great answer to that right now. It is something I need to think about. And maybe I'll put that in my goal for the next 12 months of I'm going to get this person or that person on the Outperform podcast. Yeah, I like to ask that, that question of podcasters because sometimes they, they tell you people that you've never heard of and it's like and you hear a little bit, and yeah, that's, that's cool. I'd love to hear that story as well. It's, it's interesting. But I'm, I'm so blessed in the Go All In podcast to tell, I, I call it their everyday heroes and because everybody has got a, a story. Everybody's got a story about commitment and never quitting and doing whatever it takes to succeed as well. And you know, outperforming the norm is definitely something that every single person has thought of before as well. And you get to tell the stories of everyday heroes as well like that, which is really cool. Yeah. And that's really one of the questions I had to answer for myself as well. When I was just thinking about podcasting in the generals, I, at first I was like, well, I need to get like the most famous people on it. Like people that everybody, you know, celebrities, athletes, public figures, like people that will really draw a lot of attention and downloads and, and, you know, listens and everything else. And then I thought about it and I said, well, really what I want to do is just bring on those everyday outperformers, the people that you may not have heard of, but have a hell of a story surrounding perseverance, resilience, gratitude, positivity, outperforming in general, and let people get their motivational juice and, and what they need from those people instead of thinking that you just need someone famous on every podcast episode. Yeah, beautifully said, beautifully said. And again, please uh, peek at your phone, click that link and make sure you check out Scotty's uh, podcast, Outperform the Norm. Mate, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, go to scottwelly.com, S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E. If your listeners are interested, they can also go to scottwelly.com. I'm sure you'll put a link for this, but S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E.com backslash all in. And there will be a special offer waiting for them on the other side if they end up going to that website specific to your podcast. Very nice. Thank you, Scott. Really appreciate that. And that link's definitely on your phone. Check that out. And if you're watching this video on YouTube or on Facebook, just scroll down and the link's going to be in the show notes in the description to this uh, show as well. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the Goal In podcast, mate, and spending an hour with us here. That was like an epic story. You took me on a 100-mile on a run. You took me down to the depths of grief and loss, and you brought me back like a phoenix rising out of the ashes, man. That's exactly what we want on the Goal In podcast. Thank you so much, mate. We look forward to speaking with you again soon. It's bye for now. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. appreciate it. Well, 
well, there you have it, folks. If you want to connect with Scott, just take a peek at your phone and the link to his website and to his LinkedIn is right there in the show notes. So you don't have to go digging around for it on Google. It's right there in the notes for this particular show. As always, if you've got a question or a comment for me, then please reach out via the socials or you can send me an email at any time. Just visit goallin.com.au to find out more. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get on with it and go all in. I'll see you next time.